Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Stuart Lonke. Stuart Lonke is an accomplished medical doctor, clinical researcher, and author. He's triple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonology, and critical care medicine, and a recognized expert in the related fields of preventative medicine and environmental toxicology and its associated diseases. Dr. Lonke is a fellow of the prestigious American College of Physicians and a diplomat of the American Board of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine, along with being a member of the American College of Chest Physicians, the California Lung Association, the New York Academy of Science, the American Thoracic Society, and the American Federation for Clinical Research. Dr. Lonke is known for his cutting-edge research into the causes, treatment, and prevention of toxic chemical exposures, and he's heralded for his in-depth knowledge of obesity's biological, environmental, and social influences, which are the subject of his book, Invisible Killers. He resides and practices in Los Angeles, California. As you know, I've chatted with numerous medical doctors here on the Health Investment Podcast, but today's interview is really unique. Dr. Lonke's expertise in biotoxicity and obesity really give him a rare and important perspective on health, especially the small choices we can make in our daily lives to not only reduce our exposure to potentially harmful toxins, but also to lose weight and actually keep it off. Just a reminder, even though Dr. Lonke is a medical doctor, it's important to remember that the thoughts he shares are not medical advice. You should always discuss any new supplements or lifestyle changes with your own physician before implementation. Do me a favor. While you're listening, take a selfie, post it to social media, and tag me at The Health Investment. I love seeing you in action and learning your takeaways from each episode on social media. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Lonke. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of The Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Dr. Lonke. Thank you so, so much for joining me today to share your expertise with myself and my listeners. Um, Yeah, just grateful to have you here. And I've been following you for a while on Instagram and am so interested in everything you have to say. So I can't wait to pick your brain. Well, thank you. My brain is uh, okay. So it's ripe for picking. Awesome. Great. Well, would you mind starting off by telling your story and your background 
in your own words, and then specifically what led to your interest in biotoxicity and also obesity? Sure. I'm an internal medicine specialist with a subspecialty in in pulmonary medicine and critical care medicine. And so that's far away from um, looking at uh, obesity, but not that far away from looking at toxic exposures. And in fact, when I was uh, in my training at the University of California, San Diego, I was an NIH external fellow, which meant I was not in Bethesda, but I was funded by the National Institutes of Health. And my area of research was really the biochemical uh, aspects of lung injury. Um, And as I joined the faculty, a number of the postdoctoral fellows that, that came into the pulmonary division were really interested in looking at um, things like ozone exposure. Um, By ozone, I mean O3, not the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. Um, We looked at welders uh, at the National Steel and Shipbuilding Company. We had an incredible number of uh, people working in the meatpacking industry that were developing asthma and All of these things led to work in the area of the biochemical effects on either the airways themselves, the bronchial tubes, or the lung tissue itself. So that's really where I got involved, both on a clinical level and in the laboratory, uh, research laboratory, and on the biochemical level of looking at these injuries. Now, I left the University of California in San Diego in around 1988-89 after being there for over 10 years um, and went into private practice. But uh, my reputation, unfortunately or fortunately, preceded me, and I started to get requests to look at people who were injured either at work people that were injured, not at work, but in large releases of various chemicals, uh, and render an opinion as an expert, and so on. So I, it, it led to my understanding about the chemical effects that we are confronted with on a daily basis. Uh, and some of these chemical effects came from everyday items, everyday exposures. Uh, Dry, if, if dry cleaners working in a dry cleaning plant were getting sick, how about people that dry clean their cold clothes? You brought it home. Did you get exposed to the chemicals over a period of time? And could this have an effect? So it led to this and uh, working with a very good friend of mine down in Florida, uh, uh, Rick Deitch. And Rick is a biochemist. And Rick and I started looking at some of these uh, effects, and we actually wrote a book called Invisible Killers. Um, And we looked at the everyday exposures that people have and how it affects them. So that was how I got involved with environmental toxins. Hmm. Wow. So yeah, let's definitely tackle those first. Um, you mentioned dry cleaning. I'm interested to dive right into that. What, as a consumer or, you know, somebody who takes my clothes to the dry cleaner, what should my concerns be? Well, 
Most dry cleaners today are still using trichloroethylene or TCE. I was really dumb when I was young. I didn't understand how dry cleaners dried your uh, dry cleaned clothes. I, I I thought maybe they used giant fans and blew the dirt off. They they used to use carbon tetrachloride, but they don't use that anymore because it will uh, take care of your liver in a not very good way. Um, but trichloroethylene is what they use right now, and it turns out that TCE is probably a carcinogen, but it is also moreover uh, a hormone emulator which means your body thinks it's estrogen, but it's not. But it stimulates estrogen receptors. Um, and so that's not good if you have breasts, and all of us do, men and women. Mm -hmm. um, it also has an effect on the immune system. So when you bring your clothing home, you know, they tend to put them, uh, the, the, your dresses and my suits and sport coats, in this uh, saran wrap type covering. Right. And that just keeps the chemicals emanating in your closet. And a very simple thing to do is remove all that, all that covering outside of your home. Hmm. And, and don't hang it in your closet with those, with those covers on them. Hmm. Um, this lets it air out outside and most of the chemicals will dissipate. They'll off gas before you get home. Okay. So how long do you leave them out there? Is it just fine for a few minutes or should it be days? Five, 10 minutes. Oh. And they are off gases. Wow. Okay. As I'm, I'm literally recording this in my closet and looking at dry cleaning bags as I'm talking to you. So not ideal, right. but this is something I'll think about moving forward. What about when a dry cleaner calls themselves a green dry cleaner? Are they still using those chemicals or are they using safer you know, they are using more uh, uh, non-chemical based uh, uh, cleaning items. And to the most, for the most part, they are much safer. I don't, okay. I don't think that many of their uh, chemicals that they use, and they do use, they do use agents, but they are, and I say chemicals, and I mean, you know, cleaning agents, and they're using water and various soaps and more vegetable based uh, they do they do not cause the same problems unfortunately they don't do as good a job mm. so people get a little miffed about that so when it comes to our everyday exposure um we'll talk we'll definitely touch on some more but in the case of dry cleaning is this the type of thing where the dose makes the poison like if you're getting dry cleaning every week you should be very concerned and if you're giving it once a month you know it's a good. It's a good point, Brooke. I think the dose does make the poison. In 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 a sense, what Invisible Killers was about is, um, a little bit every day, is probably more dangerous than a lot all at once. Hmm. When it's a lot all at once, <clears throat> you know that there's been a release of chemicals and you can avoid it. Okay. But, yeah. for example, let's take. Uh, PFOA, perflu let's take all the perfluorochemicals. It used to be just PFOA, perfluorooctanoic acid. Um, that is um, nonstick cookware. Oh. Okay? Yeah. So most of the toxins that enter our body 
enter through the GI tract. We eat it or we drink it. Yes, some of it comes through our lungs, no question about that, because we inhale it. Yes, some of it comes through our skin, particularly if we use makeup and lipstick and stuff like that, deodorants. But I would say 80% of the toxins that are in our body, and believe me, everyone listening to your podcast, I would bet has close to 100 toxins in their body. Remember, newborns have over 200 on average. So if you take cord blood from a newborn, they already have mercury, lead, they have cleaning agents, and they have dioxin, and they have nonstick cookware, perfluorochemicals, and they have bisphenol A. Where'd they get all this? From mommy. Right. All of this stuff crosses the placenta. Um, we, we talk about alcohol and heroin. They, they actually are larger molecules than some of the ones I just mentioned. So it's, it's not unreasonable to understand that the fetus is, is exposed at a very uh, early part of gestation. And so we are exposed to small amounts um, of these chemicals on a daily basis. For example, you have a computer. It's been treated with flame retardants. That's the law. In most, in almost every state, so you you type on your computer and then you pick up your sandwich and eat it. And guess what? You're getting very small amounts. Now the manufacturers in the chemical industry will say, "Well, you know, the amount that you're being exposed to is so small, and uh, it's negligible. Mm-hmm. It's in parts per billion. It's tiny." The problem is, once it gets in your body, your body can't excrete it because it's not water-soluble. I see. So there's, once it's in your body, there's only two ways out. One is your urine, and the other is your sweat. That's it. Now, in order to get into your urine, if you're a human, you have to make it water-soluble. Well, these are not water-soluble molecules. They are oil and water don't mix, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not soluble in water. They're soluble in fat. And so what your body will do is deliver it to the liver. The liver's job is to break down these complex molecules uh, into the component parts and make it water-soluble. By doing that, you generate a lot of free radicals, a lot of hydrogen ion that can damage DNA to a small degree, but your liver's capable of doing it. But as we get older and you go out for a drink with your friends and you have your sushi uh, and your sake and a beer, then you're pretty busy uh, trying uh, trying to metabolize alcohol And if you're on any medications or allergy medicines or other things, then your liver is pretty busy. Mm -hmm. So your liver will say to the toxin, you know what? I don't have any time. I I can get to you tomorrow, but not today. So what happens? You store it in fat cells. So these are fat-soluble chemicals 
that start to build up in your fat. Now, tomorrow comes, problem is, is you're exposed to a whole lot more. Right. And you're busy, your liver is still pretty busy. So it never gets the job completely done. The remarkable thing is that for the most part, most of us don't suffer the ill effects as an acute illness. Instead, it's a chronic illness. And we start getting chronic symptoms, like increases in breast cancer from when I went to medical school to what it is today. Increases in infertility. Most of that, by the way, is men. It has to do with sperm cells. So we can start listing chronic diseases like childhood cancers, things that are on the increase like younger age onset Alzheimer's disease, and begin to wonder, hmm, how much of this is secondary to a buildup of toxic chemicals that have happened in our bodies? Right. And what about those fat cells? Well, a fat cell that has a fair amount of toxic material in it is not the same as a fat cell that doesn't have toxic material in it. It metabolizes differently and it operates differently, which will which began to get me involved with obesity. Okay. And I started yeah. looking, I came to to my work on obesity through the back door. Hmm. I, I wasn't an endocrinologist or someone interested in helping people lose weight. I was a doctor who noticed that my obese patients that wound up in the intensive care unit didn't do very well. And I began to identify that those that didn't do well fit a particular picture which I liked to call lethal obesity. These are people who are obese. They, their oxygen levels go down at night when they sleep. They may or may not have sleep apnea. Many of them do. And little by little, their pulmonary artery pressures go up because that's what the pulmonary artery, which is inside your chest, does when the oxygen level drops. Unfortunately, when that happens, the right side of your heart, not the left side of your heart, the right atrium and the right ventricle, which are not built to push against and pump against a high pressure, are strained. So these people develop slowly what's called, we call it core pulmonale. It's a fancy name, but it's really a strained right heart. Now, if you give them pneumonia, well, God forbid you give them COVID and you put them on a ventilator, they've got two strikes against them and no bat in their hands. So a nice pitch right down the plate, they're out. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Uh, and that's what got me interested in looking at how do we get fat in the first place? Is it linked or is it not linked to all of these chemicals that we don't seem to be able to live without? 
So I, I look at I look at this entire situation and I sit back and I start looking at okay, how do these how do these chemicals and these different toxic agents that we're exposed to affect fat metabolism? And I gave you one item, which is there's no question that a fat cell that's got a fair amount of toxic agents in it metabolizes differently. So let's take a step back. When I went to med school, um, and, you know, I, it may sound to your listeners like I came over in a covered wagon. I didn't. I, <laughs> it, it was it was the 70s, 60s and 70s. And, and as I was starting my career, we didn't really appreciate the fact that fat is like is an endocrine organ. Mm. I think that the, most people don't know that. Right. Fat makes hormones. It makes leptin. It, it makes adipokines. It makes a number of signaling chemicals that tell you you've had enough to eat, you're full, stop, or you're starving, or how you metabolize triglycerides and cholesterol and how much you incorporate into the fat, and whether you have bigger fat cells or more fat cells, so on and so forth. So all of these chemicals affect the uh, adipose tissue, um, and that's an important factor to understand because if you're going to try and lose weight and get rid of fat cells, and you're going to do this through dieting and exercise, but you have chemically infested fat cells, it's going to be a little more difficult. So it might make sense to try and detox as much as you can. You see, those chemicals that are in the fat cells, they're in balance. They're trying to get back in the bloodstream and get to the liver and say, get me out of here. And, you know, the liver has time to do that every day. Uh, depends uh, on the given day and how many medications you're on and whether you drink a lot. And don't make, don't, I don't want to make it sound that most people store everything in their fat cells. Most people actually, the liver handles most of the toxins that gets into the blood. Okay. But some of those toxins and some of those heavy metals, for example, like lead, like mercury, um, they deposit either in fat tissue or the heavy metals, which are water-soluble, they will deposit in other tissues which have an affinity for them. So we know that lead likes to go to the brain. We know that lead also goes to blood vessels. We know that mercury goes to the brain. So we know that, you know, the old, the, you know, too much mercury can make you a little crazy. Mm-hmm. What You remember the mad hatter? Yeah. So what did hatters do? They made hats. Mm. They made felt hats, as a matter of fact. And in the felt hat, they used to... Um, they used to uh, use mercury quite a bit in the coloration. And the hatters, the people that made the hats, used to lick their brushes. And then, oh, wow. so mad as a hatter came 
became a, a, a term that was used because hatters got crazy because they had mercury poisoning. We know some of the great composers of all time died of either lead poisoning or mercury poisoning, right? Lead goblets, drinking a lot of wine through a lead goblet. Poor Beethoven didn't know that. Well, so I'm wondering, you mentioned dry cleaning. What are some of the other common everyday exposures that we can avoid rather easily? Like that was a very easy tip to just leave it outside for five minutes out of the bag. Um, you mentioned cookware. Is there a specific cookware that you recommend that is not one of the non-stick pans? Yeah, you know, I, I like copper pots and I, aluminum I stay away from because um, there are some data that seems to show that seem to show that, uh, you know, aluminum and um, uh, spirals in the brain may be related somewhat to Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. It's not very clear cut. I can't say to you that it's a proven fact that aluminum causes Alzheimer's disease. I don't think that's a true statement, but it's a, a lot of aluminum is not good. Um, the old stainless steel pot, the iron cookware. Okay. So stainless steel, good. What about cast iron? The cast iron's good? Well, it's the best. Oh, the best. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, those pots are heavy. They are. Um, they are, yeah. Crusette. Look, Crusette. I hate to do an ad, but. Yeah. They are a great line. Um, easy to clean, by the way. Yeah. Because that's what we use. But here's the here's the deal. And you got to understand this. Okay, Brooke? Okay. So we got rid of all our nonstick cookware and yep. our aluminum, right? Right. But you go out to eat. Are they using nonstick cookware? <laughs> Do you know if your local Starbucks or bakery is using nonstick muffin pans? Yeah. Hmm. You can't escape it. Mm -hmm. You are, and I am, and all of the listeners are, and I don't want to scare them, but we're exposed to, here's what it is. There are 85,000 chemicals mm -hmm. being used in the United States right now, give or take a thousand. Less than 5,000 of them have ever been tested by FDA mm. because they don't have to be. Right. So you can take your plug-in air freshener, which besides giving desert breeze or whatever odor it's putting out into the air along with a bunch of other chemicals and you're breathing it in, it's falling on your food, it fell on your lunch and your salad tonight and your beer and and you're you're just filled with with toxins. You know, they they, they in, in Canada, before they banned and they did in Canada, uh, bisphenol A in baby bottles. Bisphenol A, BPA, yeah, very harmful to uh, to unborn and, and and to newborns. Can affect the brain. It can affect neural development. It can affect immunologic development. Um, and before they outlawed it, uh, some of the uh, um, um, in in the provinces. Uh, particularly uh, in uh, Ontario, 
didn't believe that there that that this toxin thing was real. So about uh, six or seven of them had their blood tested, and they tested for fifty different toxins, and the lowest number was thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. And these these people, men and women, just stood back and said, "Whoa." I have that in my blood? The answer is yes, you do. Is it going to kill me? No. But take a look at where we are today and where we were in my parents' generation with certain diseases. Yeah. Right, yeah. So uh, going back to the obesity factor and going back to uh, uh, that, to, to, to tie that up into a little bit of a, of a, of a knot here or, or into a package. Um, I just want to make the point that what we've learned is that these toxins in cell culture and in animal models, and you can't do the experiments in humans, what they do is they cause epigenetic changes in the developing fetus. So we start as an embryo and we become a fetus. And somewhere along the line, we have cells which are called pluri, P-L-E-U-R-I, hyphen potential, which means these are cells that are capable of going any number of different ways. They, They are part of development in all animals, all mammals. And um, these pluripotential cells, for example, could become a fat cell or they could become a muscle cell. Now, the gene coding for these, for which way it goes, can be affected by what's called epigenetic changes. Epi meaning surface, E-P-I on the surface of the gene. So the gene sequence isn't changed whatsoever. Your DNA is your DNA. But attached to the DNA can be a small molecule, usually a methyl group, CH3, a carbon and three hydrogens. You can tell I was a chemistry major. (laughs) So the methyl group can attach to the surface of the gene, thus the term epigenetic, and it either turns on the gene or turns it off, depending on where it locates. Well, what we have found is that a number of these chemicals, like bisphenol A and a number of other uh, particularly uh, insecticides and uh, uh, um, uh, household chemicals, uh, some household chemicals, uh, for, for cleaning purposes, change the... P-A-R-R gamma 2 gene. It doesn't mean anything to anybody but a specific gene, which will dictate whether a pluripotential cell becomes a fat cell or a muscle cell and it makes fat cells instead. Oh, wow. Ah, so (laughs) Dr. Lonke, you're telling me that all of this stuff for obesity starts in utero? And the answer is, yeah. A lot of it does, which is why the average birth weight has increased dramatically. 
See, it, it has, doesn't have to do with eating too many Twinkies or being a couch potato. That doesn't help. But it, it clearly affects not only humans, but other species as well. So if you take a look in the animal kingdom, you know, monkeys are getting fatter. Squirrels are getting fatter. They're not watching TV, trust me. <laughs> so that's, that's part of what uh, I like to write about and, and, and investigate further, because this continues through childhood and, and into adulthood, and it makes it... Uh, more understandable as to well, why is it when I go on a diet and I lose all that weight, it comes back so fast. It's because you're coded for it. Hmm. You are going to, unfortunately, you're going to change the way it was supposed to be to what these toxins have dictated it now has to be in you, unless we can do something about that. So, right. So is, is it just enough to gradually, um, I mean, I think it might seem overwhelming to people who are listening to think, oh my gosh, all the chemicals around me all day and just to get really kind of freaked out by it. But is it enough to just slowly start to stop using different things? Like you mentioned air fresheners, or I'm sure those car fresheners or scented candles, things like that, just to slowly weed things out and make some swaps that are healthier, like the cookware you recommended. Is that enough or what do you recommend? Well, I recommend as much as you can do without making yourself miserable. Right. I think, you know, we take a look at things like nonstick cookware. Okay. So we talked about that. How about flame retardants? You know, that's a law. You know, it's very difficult. For example, if you're, if you're a young mother with a newborn, and you want to get a mattress, um, you can't get it in this country um, that is made without, uh, you know, uh, some of these chemicals which are used as flame retardants. Right. And kids' pajamas have flame retardants. And it's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the thing that's undeniable is that small amounts are getting into the bloodstream. People will measure that blood level and say, oh, well, it's so tiny as to be negligible. But they don't measure the fat level. They don't do a fat biopsy on you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So remember, you're sequestering all of these things in organs where they can be stored. And yeah. so the, the question becomes, what can I do? Yes. And, and that's what I get all the time. And, and it's a multifactorial question. The, the question becomes, okay, doc, wh what can I do? And can I change my epigenetics? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. You can't change your genetics, but you can actually change your epigenetics. Okay. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. How do you do that? Well, most of it has to do with behavioral patterns. What we have found is if you change some of your eating habits and eliminate certain stresses on the metabolic system of fat cells, you eliminate fat-containing and carbohydrate-containing foods late at night. 
and you do that consistently, you will change your epigenetics. A recent article, recent meaning in the last few years, showed uh, in multiple studies that exercise done regularly, that's the key. It has to be consistent. It can't be that you're a weekend warrior. That won't work. Yeah. It has to be, I exercise every day for 30 minutes, no matter what. Mm -hmm. That will change your epigenetics. So it will start to remove some of these influences on your DNA towards the correct metabolic pathway. The, The problem is the minute you go back to being lax, you're going to go right back to being, those epigenetic changes come right back. They're dying to come back. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's, it's a very strange universe with epigenetics. But we know that, for example, epigenetics can be passed on to generation to generation. It's part of the DNA now. It's not part of the DNA. It's part of the surface of the DNA. Mm-hmm. And most of that work has been done in infertility work. As I mentioned before, uh, sperm cells that have epigenetic changes that they don't recognize the egg. They swim up to the egg and they say, hi, how are you? Nice (laughs) to see you and have a nice day. What they forget to do is fertilize. Right. Wow. Okay. And uh, that's a problem. And so that those exposures, that condition can be actually passed on what we call transgenerationally. So it can even skip a generation, Hmm. which is why we're seeing more and more and more infertility. These are epigenetic changes. Mm -hmm. They're not, it isn't that the sperm is damaged or the egg is damaged. They're fine. They just don't remember what to do. Because of an epigenetic change, which means I'm supposed to secrete an enzyme to get inside the egg. Oh, forgot that. So you can kind of control your epigenetics or change them somewhat through nutrition, you mentioned, through exercise. Now, that's where where you come in. If you're going to set up nutritional plans for people, I always tell my patients, start, start slowly. And one of the things I came up with was, this thing uh, that I call APE, A-I-P-E, that is accept the fact accept the fact that you're toxic, that you have toxins in your body and that you can transmit them to your kids. Okay. Identify the toxins that are around your house. Do the best that you can do to prevent further exposure. Okay, so that's the P. And the E is try and eliminate them from your body. And that's the tough part. Mm. But there are some technologies, and I'll call them technologies. Certainly for heavy metals, we have reasonably safe technologies that are out there for getting most of the harmful heavy metals out of our body. Um, and... So the AIPE approach, from a nutritional standpoint, then I tell my patient, okay, accept the fact that you have toxic behaviors. Mm. Make a list. Bring them to the office next visit. Let's talk about them. 
Let's identify what they are. Let's figure out a way to prevent them, but we're going to do one at a time, one at a time. You can't tackle it all. What's your feeling about that? That's exactly what I do. I say small, simple changes add up to sustainable results. So those are my three favorite S words, small, simple, and sustainable. Um, But yeah, I'm right with you there. If you do too much all at once, it becomes very overwhelming. So I think even, you know, as you're talking about all these toxic exposures, I know for myself, I identified these several years ago and just slowly started, you know, getting rid of the things, as I was saying, like candles or air fresheners or whatever, and then changing my cookware, swapping all of the plastic uh, Tupperware I had for glass, which actually is a great investment because the glass stuff lasts forever. So you basically invest one. It's wonderful. We all, we we try to use only glass. Yep. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, my skincare, I've been much more cautious about. Um, you know, just kind of everything. But at first, when I learned about this, I did feel very overwhelmed, and then I find that overwhelm leads to inaction because you just feel like there's too much to do, and I can't do it all, so I'll do nothing. Um, so yeah, I really like to take the slow, steady approach that you're speaking of. And that's and that's the one that works best for some of my patients. And that we 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 just look at something. I'll give you one example. I had a patient that had late night, had a crazy work schedule, and ate a lot at night before he went to bed. And but but his favorite treat was potato chips. Mm-hmm. So we discussed whether it was the crunchiness or the saltiness or what it was. Um, And we substituted uh, cucumbers. Mm -hmm. Just raw cucumbers. Yeah. And put a little lemon juice on it. Hmm. Yeah. And do you know something? Now he's addicted to cucumbers. (laughs) With lemon juice. But you see, it works. Yeah. It, it, it gets rid of one toxic behavior. And when that's solidly in place, then you move to the next one. Exactly. Right. And I, I, I'm finding that the behavioral modification is, it's difficult to sustain, but it's important. And part and parcel of this is uh, talking to your audience. You know, obviously, they're going to be different ages out there listening to this podcast. But for those of you who are in their teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s that are still having families, Mm -hmm. you have the best chance to guarantee your children not to be obese. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's the key. Mm -hmm. Understanding that in utero, is when a lot of the damage is done. Not all of it, but a lot. Mm -hmm. And what mom eats, and and for that matter, what dad is eating, um, has an effect. Yeah. It has an effect even Mm -hmm. preconception. So you do your best to do detoxification. And when I talk about detox, I'm not talking about Oh, I'm going to detox this weekend. Right. I hear that from my patients. And I say, really? <laughs> <laughs> Every day you're exposed, but you're going to take a weekend and think you're going to do it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Somebody going to pick you up and wring you out like a <laughs> washcloth? 
I mean, all the toxins are going to fall out. No, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Oh, I thought that's how it worked. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't work that way. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I basically uh, think that we have some technologies. One of them I will mention, um, and I'm not trying to plug anybody or anything, but there are chemicals called zeolites. I don't know. Have you heard of them? I have not, no. So zeolites, Z-E-O-L-I-T-E-S, zeolites are um, a mineral um, that is formed when volcanic ash hits seawater, basically. Hmm. Think of it that way. So they've been around many, 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 many years. There are a bunch of zeolites. I haven't kept track, but there's probably over 20 or nearly 20 zeolites. Asbestos is a zeolite, hmm. just to make you understand. Okay. So some are not good for you, right. correct? Yes. So chrysotile and so on and so forth, these are zeolites. Uh, one of the zeolites is called clinoptilolite. That's a long name. But clinoptilolite is an aluminum silicate mineral with a net negative charge, which is pretty good because that means it can theoretically trap positively charged metals and all the metals are positively charged. Lead is positively charged. Mercury is positively charged, so on and so forth. We use uh, some detox doctors uh, use ethylene diamine tetracetic acid, EDTA, to detox people and get calcium out of their blood. Well, you need calcium. Mm-hmm. So you would like to have a, a detox chemical for heavy metals, which would just get rid of the bad ones and leave the good ones behind. Mm-hmm. And it turns out clinoptilolite is that magic bullet. Hmm. Um, and it, it needs to be activated because as you find it in nature, uh, think of it as like a honeycomb, and the honeycomb fills up with all the toxic metals. Okay. The problem is, is when you mine it and you find it in nature, most of those honeycombs are filled. So you have to empty them out so that it can be clinically useful. Because one of the things that it does is if you take it by mouth after it's activated, about oh, half of it or thereabouts is actually absorbed into your bloodstream. Well, that's good. So what does it do? It's water soluble. It picks up all the metals and it picks up some positively charged non-metals. Some of these organic chemicals we said were not soluble. And it carries them along too. And we did some studies with miners uh, in, um, in Pennsylvania and You can uh, measure their urinary excretion of things like lead and mercury and cadmium and so on and so forth and arsenic, and then start them on a a trial of this uh, compound, and it goes up tenfold. Hmm. They just start urinating the stuff out like crazy. So there's no, yeah, there's no potential risks? No, there's no side effect, except you got to stay well hydrated. Okay. The, the nice part about this particular zeolite is it does not want to trap calcium or sodium or potassium, which you happen to need to stay alive. 
Whereas if you use EDTA, you have to replace those. Okay. Because you could become deficient, but you don't have to worry about it with the clinoptilolite. But that, now I just gave you one little thing, which we use in our house, and my kids use it, my grandkids use it. But, you know, we, uh, it's simple. You take five drops a couple of times a day, and that's it. You can put it in your water, you can put it in your beer. My, <laughs> my, my college age grandson says, Can I put it in my beer, Papa? I said, no. Go for it. Not. <laughs> no. no, not in a beer. No. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries. Everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so that's interesting. I'm wondering how you feel about heat therapy, like saunas and oh, steam rooms. Oh, wonderful. Because okay. the second member we said about uh, the, the other way out is sweat. Yep. Um, and I like infrared saunas. I, I don't have one, so I go to the sauna. You know, I, I, I go to a sauna or I go to a, 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 a you know, the uh, steam room. Yeah. Heat is great. Okay. If, but, you know, the steam room, you can only stay for so long. The sauna, I could stay for longer. Uh, and IR saunas, infrared saunas, are remarkable because you could stay in there 30 minutes. Right. And it, and it gets, the data have shown that you can get down to the fat layer, and here we go. Whoa, you mean my fat is sweating? Yes, it actually is. Wow, very cool. And so then I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan of infrared saunas and heat therapy. And then sweaty exercise, nutrition, as you mentioned, slowly but surely eliminating toxins from your home. And Correct. then the clinoptilolite you think is a good, a safe thing. I've, I don't know. I've heard from people before who have had to do these major detoxes from heavy metals that it's best to do under the supervision of a doctor or yes and that and that is that is using uh, things like penicillamine which has to be infused EDTA which you can take orally but it's not very effective the way that most detox is done is intravenously so you go into the uh, doctor's office they hang up an IV and they drip in ethylene diamine tetracetic acid which is EDTA I see. So those are the more extreme versions. Oh, yeah. And, you know, th these are people who are trying to get the calcium out of their arteries. Mm. Right? Right. Um, I, I, I won't comment on that, but yeah. I, I would say um, I don't recommend that. Okay. Well, you've been so generous with your time. We're already at let me let me, uh, let me tell you, before my time runs out, do I have a few minutes yet? Yes, of course. Yeah, I was going to uh, go ahead. You go. But I was going to ask um, what we were talking about before with the COVID. The yeah, I want to make some statements about obesity and COVID. And people have heard 
people have heard that obesity uh, is a risk factor, and it is probably the largest risk factor uh, for mortality, and that's death, okay, mm-hmm. from COVID-19. Besides old age with multiple complicating factors, and I'm talking about people in their 80s and 90s um, uh, who have succumbed to this disease, people have should understand one thing. The reason why we make, as, med, as, as physicians, why we're concerned about obesity, and I told you it's hard to ventilate these people, there's another reason. Obesity has been shown to be an inflammatory state. What do I mean by that? Well, there are, people have heard the term cytokine storm Mm -hmm. dealing with COVID-19. When you get infected and you feel kind of crummy and then you get a severe infection with cytokine storm and all of these evil humors are bursting into your bloodstream and causing your blood pressure to fall and causing your lungs to leak fluid into the lungs. And we call it uh, ARDS. Uh, Some people call it acute respiratory distress syndrome. Back when it was first described, it was called adult respiratory distress syndrome to differentiate it from highland membrane disease, which which was just plain RDS, respiratory distress syndrome. Um, But all of these horrible things happen because of cytokine storms. Mm -hmm. Well, fat tissue makes adipokines, A-D-I-P-O-K-I-N-E-S. You can certainly look at that and try and get some good scientific site to explain what they are, but they are inflammatory mediators. So they cause a low level of inflammation. So Those people with BMIs over 35 and clearly those with BMIs over 40 are, think of it this way, your pilot light is on. Mm. You're You're not heating right now, but your pilot's on. You have a low level of being ready to kind of burn up. And as we as those people get infected with COVID-19, if they get to this part of cytokine storm, they already have this inflammatory state going on. So the effect of cytokine storm in somebody who has adipokine storm going on continually is devastating. Mm. Then you combine that with the difficulty mechanically of ventilating people who are big uh, because it takes more pressure to push air into the lungs, um, it's, it's really a problem. So I wanted to make people aware of the fact that there are real reasons as to why obesity and COVID-19 is not a good combination. Um, what can you do? Uh, you can pretty much, if you have a very high BMI, try and avoid uh, contact right now uh, as much as possible in small spaces, enclosed spaces. You know, try and socially distance uh, yourself. Use masks uh, uh, when appropriate um, and uh, try to ride out this storm. There's an interesting 
thing I told you at the beginning before we started, uh, to leave everybody with a sense of hope as a, as a lung doctor and a critical care doctor, I get all of these alerts. It turns out that there were uh, two articles, maybe three or four studies, but two that I know, they're not in print yet, but they will be in, one is in Nature, the journal Nature. Mm-hmm. One is in the journal Cell, C-E-L-L. Okay. Um, it turns out, you know, isn't it strange that not everybody in the family gets sick with COVID? Yeah. Um, isn't it strange that little kids get infected, but they don't get very sick? Mm-hmm. It turns out that these researchers have found in Singapore, and one study was done in Singapore in a large population, and another study was done in Scandinavia, looking at natural immunity. And it turns out that anywhere, depending on the study, from around 20% to 50%, half of the population has immunity. Their T cells, both T4 and T8 cells, recognize the spike protein and the secondary protein of COVID-19. How did that happen? Well, turns out the spike protein of COVID-19 and the secondary protein, not the major spike protein, on the cell surface, on the viral surface, share identical uh, uh, immunologic markers as two or three common cold viruses. So if you've been infected with those common cold viruses in the past, your T cells say, oh, I've seen you before. Get gone. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, these people, when immunized, are going to be super protected, super, super, because their T cells are going to see a big amount and they're going to just go crazy. So it is probable that the reason why, for example, quote, herd immunity is never going to be an answer for this particular viral process is because most of the resistance to COVID-19 appears to be not antibody mediated, but cell mediated through lymphocytes. Hmm. So just a good news piece, because I think that um, we will have a vaccine soon, I believe, which is remarkable to me. Um, As a practicing physician, I've never seen anything like that. Never seen us develop something with this rapidity. Well, that, that is reassuring news. Um, I appreciate you sharing that new research with us. Um, you were saying, you know, it's cutting edge. It's not even published yet. So thank you for sharing that. I ask each of my guests this final question. And in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? You know, it means a lot, no matter what age you are. Because I, I believe every, every human life has a value. And, and every human is valuable to someone, either to your parents, your spouse, or to your unborn children if you don't have children, and to your born children if you do have children. 
What it means to make the health investment is that, to me, it's a it's a sign of that you care about the people that surround you. Because to not make the health investment is to get sick. And to get sick is to cause heartache and heartbreak sometimes. So making the health investment, although sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes it's kind of expensive, um, mm -hmm. you need to do everything you can within your means to keep yourself out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. Keep yourself out of the doctor's office except to say hi. <laughs> um, and as I always tell people, I just want to be healthy and live and, and, and stay not sick and wake up one morning completely dead. Right. And that's how I want to go. Right. That whole idea of lifespan versus health span of being as alive and feeling as great as possible up until the very last Absolutely. Day. Awesome. Well, where can listeners follow and find you? Well, they can go to my website. It's, uh, they can go to, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, the website is up. It's It's got some articles and some other things. Stuart Lonke, MD, uh, on Facebook, StuartLonke.com. Um, DrStuartLonke.com uh, um, is the website. Um, and that's how they can do it. Awesome. Well, I'll put all of those links in the show notes so that people can really easily click and, you know, read more about you. And I know you have some great articles on your website. So to learn more from you. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and just all of the valuable knowledge. So really, really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you having me. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one -on -one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.